In the Trauma-Informed Education podcast, you can get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to our Trauma-Informed PBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. That's tipbs.com. Hello and welcome to Trauma-Informed Education. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. As teachers, we are often at the mercy of the leadership we work under. We are often required to adopt practices and approaches that we may not fully trust or believe in. Despite the promises of every program or approach, the autonomy and judgment of the teachers, the people who know their students best, is curtailed and distrusted. But what if there was an approach to leadership and practice that was both evidence-based while still allowing the teachers to act on their expertise and skills? Today we speak to James Moffat, principal of Derby Hills Elementary in Kansas. Inspired by the movie Paper Tigers about trauma-informed practice at Lincoln High School, James embarked on transforming the disciplinary and educational practices of the school to incorporate the research on adverse childhood experiences by focusing on education of the whole child and not just the academics. James will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy and me. I hope you find this interview useful. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy. Welcome to Trauma Informed Education. I'm here as always with Dr. Kay Eyre. Hi Kay. Hi Govind. Um, we're super excited today. We've got James with us. Hi James, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great. We're really excited to have you here. Um, for people who listen to the show, um, my, uh, James' name might sound familiar. I think we had a chat to uh, Jim Spoletter and uh, Jessica Griffin previously, um, who's had very nice things to say about you, James. Um, so we're really excited to speak with you. Um, so we might just jump right into it. Um, and did you want to tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming an educator? Yeah, um, I grew up an uh, army brat, so my dad was in the, in the in the army. I traveled to Germany, traveled to Germany, um, to Seattle, Washington. Ended up in Arizona. Um, grew up there for a while. Um, I think I've known since like third, fourth grade that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I had some amazing teachers who I had some great relationships with, and I kind of went that route. Um, Thought about joining the Air Force at one point. I think that was more, my dad was in the military. I, I think I felt like there was an obligation to do something like that. But at the end, I decided it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I wanted to get an education. So um, I was really fortunate. And I got to go um, student teach at the school that I went to as a kid. And I got hired at the school that I went to as a kid. So my first um, couple years of teaching, I taught kindergarten, which was a change for me. It wasn't something I expected to do. Um, but I actually got the privilege of teaching kindergarten right next door to my own kindergarten teacher, which was pretty sweet. Um, so I did kindergarten for two years. I did um, first grade for two years. Um, living in Arizona at the time, and if you keep up with education right now, the pay in Arizona was really, really poor. 
And so I had to make a decision. Either I needed to move um, to a place where I could make more money in education or I needed to get out of education. And I'm, I'm so passionate about this that I, I chose to move. And my family moved from Arizona to Kansas. And um, I taught fifth grade for six years in Kansas. And this is my just finishing my fourth year as an administrator. So I'm excited to, to be here. And so actually about three years ago, I attended a conference in Manhattan, Kansas, Safe and Secure Schools Conference, me and a colleague went to, and we stumbled on this screening of Paper Tigers. Had never even heard of the movie, never heard of the documentary, didn't know who Jen Sporleader was, but we stumbled on this documentary, and um, he was actually there, and we got to kind of have some Q&A with him, which was kind of cool, and I remember going back to my hotel room that night, and me and my colleague talked before that and said, this is something that I think we have our hands on something that's really golden right now. We need to do something with this. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, we've been doing this traditional discipline and education for a long time and not really getting the results that we wanted. And so we should try something different. So if you're not on Twitter, now this is where I always sell the power of Twitter. Um, I actually went back to my room that night and, and I sent Jim, I added him and then I sent him a direct message saying, hey, I need to learn more about this. I want to jump in with two feet. I want to do something different. And I didn't know him at the time, so I didn't really expect a response. To me, he's just like on this level of expertise, and I'm just one of the minions who probably sends him messages all the time. And so, but I actually woke up the next morning, and he had replied to our message and gave us his phone number and said, hey, reach out. I want to help you out. And so from there, that really sparked a journey for us. And so um, we just finished our second year of being a fully implementing trauma-informed school. Um, we had one year of piloting before that, but it, it's the best thing I think, best decision I've ever made. And to have staff that get it and jump on board and see the just the incredible benefits for our kids, this has been a, a godsend, and he was a godsend for us. And we've been fortunate enough to I've traveled nationally and presented at some national conferences, done a lot of stuff around the state that's connected me with a lot of people and. Um, it's been amazing. So I'm really excited. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we've just recently embraced Twitter. I've just put K onto it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure what the Twitter etiquette is, but did you want to share your handle um, address? Yeah, today? so I'm um, at D-H-E principal. So I'm principal of Derby Hills Elementary School. So it's at D-H-E principal. Yeah, that's great. So I'd love Twitter to have people a- call me. I'd love to Love to communicate with people on there and, and share ideas and, and learn a lot. I learn a lot on there. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a powerful tool. Well, that's a nice segue to DHE. Do you want to tell us about your school, James, and just the context to where you're teaching at the moment? Yeah. So we're right outside of Wichita, Kansas. So I'm, I mean, I could probably throw a rock and hit Wichita, Kansas. We're that close. Um, but I've been here. This is my fourth year. And it's interesting thinking back now, like when I got the job in my interview, I think one thing we all can agree on is that behaviors of our children, behavior at schools has gotten worse over time. We're seeing a lot more explosive behavior, a lot more kids who aren't able to regulate their emotions or manage their feelings or anything like that. And so I think back to that in my interview and probably 90% of the questions in the interview were about behavior, about Mm -hmm. student behavior. And, um, I was not always a trauma-informed teacher. I'll be the first to admit that. And so I think I came in thinking I'll have the iron fist and I'm going to make these kids um, do what they're supposed to do. And you know, like I said, in that first year, it was just eh, average. Like I don't, I don't think we had any drastic changes. I mean, kids were what they've always been. 
And so when I met Jim that second year, I said, we got to do something different because I think I was trying to do this traditional discipline, but the principals before me had tried to do that traditional discipline and there really wasn't any change happening. So we've embraced that. Um, we're a school of almost 600 kids. I, I think we'll probably be over 600 kids next year. Um, we, we've done a lot of work to our hashtag as a building on Twitter is DHE family. So if anybody wants to see the things that we're doing, it's hashtag DHE family. And that family piece is huge for us. We talk about being a school family. We talked about school connectedness. We do a lot with conscious discipline that centers around, you know, kids, um, being part of a school family and being part of a community and classroom communities and whole school communities. So we focus a lot on that. We focus a lot. I mean, a lot of attention on relationships. Um, but I always preface that by saying that doesn't mean I don't think the academics are important because they're very important, but I think the avenue and the way that we're getting to the academics is probably different than most schools. Um, we just spend a lot of time just having fun because for me in my heart, I believe the first thing that I need kids to do is want to be at school. And once they want to be there, I can, I can take care of the other stuff and I have incredible teachers who can help them when they, when they want to be here. But that's the first battle is getting it to a point where they want to be at school. We have so many kids just in general, not just, just here, but kids who just don't enjoy school. And we, we made school this sit and get, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lecture at you for seven hours a day. And then we wonder why they don't want to come back. But then we complain when we're in our own faculty meetings and somebody gets up and sits and lectures to us for an hour. So, but we turn around to our kids all day long and we wonder why they're not engaged. So um, we spend a lot of time, you know, we do a lot of social events outside of school um, together as a staff, but also with parent events and um, getting parents involved and getting parents in the building. One of the things I'm most proud of is most mornings when I walk down the hallway, there's a parent outside every door helping a teacher in some way, whether it's working with kids or grading papers or putting stuff in packets. Like um, the family support we have is amazing. And I think it was good at the beginning, but I think it's even more amazing now, four years later that we've embraced that. Um, so I think Derby Hills is a special place. One of the things we talk about in our, our mission and our vision statement is it's a place of endless possibilities. And that's what I want our kids to think about when they come. It's a place of endless possibilities. Anything is possible when they're here. And that parent engagement piece is, is such a hard one to do. And, and when it's done well, it's probably a reflection of, you know, how, you know, how far you've come with the school being connected and the school community. Um, I'll, I'll get Kai to jump in in a bit, just ask it some questions. But I wanted to ask you, James, can you just paint a picture for us for when you first arrived at the school, uh, just you know, and the events that led up to you meeting with um, Jim. What were the challenges you were facing at that time? And was there a particular incident or like a set of events that really pushed you to want to uh, find another way with behavior management and discipline at the school? I think um, there's been obviously a couple turning points and it really wasn't even a behavior issue that happened. But I remember back to my first year, we had a, a custody issue with the student. And um, mom had some issues, student had some issues, and mom had given up custody to somebody else, and mom was trying to take custody back. And I remember one day, and, and this was in my first year, sitting in my office, I'm 30 years old at the time. Uh, outwardly, people look at me as like, oh, you're this strong guy. But I remember sitting there in tears because I, I felt for this girl so much, and it really made me think about um, the issues and the, and the stressors that our kids have. And and are we as a system of educators, are we really taking the time to be empathetic towards their needs? 
And I don't think we always have been. And I think that's one of the biggest shifts for me when we think about trauma informed. I know we'll, we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but like, it's really just that empathy piece and letting kids know that you care about them. It's okay to care mm-hmm. about kids. That's probably one of the biggest shifts. I got into teaching in 2004. Mm-hmm. And in 2004, as a guy, like, I would never tell a student, I love you. That mm-hmm. wasn't what we did. Like, that, that was not the norm. That wasn't politically correct. It wasn't okay to say that. And now we're in an age right now where I'm encouraging teachers to tell their kids every day, hey, I love you. Our school motto is, um, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. And that's something that I say every day at the end of every announcement. I say that. Um, I say, hey, if nobody tells you they love you today, remember that we do. And so that's just been a big shift and a big change. But it's for me, it's like taking some events like that one that first year where I, I felt for a kid. I felt that empathy for a kid. And I, I wanted to, to do more. And I think that at that time, our system wasn't built. And I mean, our system in our school wasn't built for me to do more. Mm-hmm. But I think if I was in that same situation now, four years later, it would have been handled a little bit differently. And we would have given her truly the support that she needed. And um, I think those are kind of the events that have led to me, led me to go on this mm-hmm. route. And then Honestly, I'm a numbers guy looking at data and talking to Jim and seeing the effects that this approach has had. Mm. And I even look at our own numbers. That first year, we didn't have a really good system for um, reviewing our behavioral data. But I, I mean, literally, I had a, a, a post-it note on my desk and I would tally every time I saw a kid. And it was like well over 500 visits to the office. And that, mm. was, that was a lot. And mm. we just wrapped up our school year um, just this week and we're in the hundreds and that's a, I mean, we're talking like a 70% decrease in visits and, and some of it's the behaviors change, but some of it is like um, supporting teachers. So they feel empowered to, to manage those behaviors on their own and deal with that, those behaviors on their own, because every, all those things, those 500 visits to the office that I had that first year, a lot of that stuff was minor stuff that teachers could have handled if they felt the, that they had, they were empowered and had the tools and the skills to deal with it. And now I feel like most of them have those skills and those, mm. those talents to deal with those things. And they're in strong relationships with those kids. And that's one thing we know. If the relationship is strong, we can increase the engagement. And mm. we talk a lot about the difference engagement and compliance. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. We don't, I don't want that compliance or I guess I'll do it because that's what you're telling me to do or because I'm afraid of you and you're, if, if I don't do it, you're going to yell at me. I don't mm. want compliance like that. I want engagement. I want that kid to know that I'm invested in them so much that I care about them and I'll never ask them to do something that mm. is unsafe or not loving. I, I, I want them to be engaged in our school so that they're going to do those things so that because they know that we're invested in each other. That's, yeah. that's the difference. That's what I want to be. Yeah, I love that. I love that it was both the head and the heart. <laughs> you, know, you had this nice moment with the student that connected you with, you know, how much you care for students and like them. But it was also about the numbers, wasn't it? About the difference yeah. it was making in schools. Yeah. And yeah. One of the things I've learned with professional development is like with anything, I have to connect with somebody's heart first and then I can get to their head. And I, I mean, I've heard that a bunch and like, I'm starting to see that more and more. Like if I can't connect with you on a heart level, you're never going to take in the information that I'm sharing. Mm, yeah, that's great. Kay, did you have any questions or comments for um, James? I was just going to ask James, so was the composition of the staff when you arrived, was that similar to yourself and, and where we've all been in that consequence-based punitive disciplinarian type of behaviour that we all have um, been doing and applying yeah, unsuccessfully so. for many years. Uh, yeah. So how did how did you um, begin to shift that um, 
shift the teacher's confidence to, mm-hmm. you know, the loving, um, it's okay, you don't have to have this punitive control or illusion yeah. of control. Um, yeah. How did you begin to shift that so that they were confident in dealing with all those minor things that they previously would have sent to the office? I think, and the one word you're going to hear me say a lot about is empathy, because I think that's what allows me to connect with somebody's heart. And so um, one thing I always try to do is I I try to give examples to teachers that will cause them to be empathetic to what their kids are going through. And I mean, one of the examples when I go out and present, I give all the time is, you know, to me, being trauma-informed, it's love-based, not fear-based. And if I take it a step further, it's about treating our kids with the same dignity and respect that we expect our supervisors to treat us with. And I think one thing that we've been really guilty of in education, we're very reactive. We're very, we're very good at sitting back and seeing something we don't like and then just jumping on it and yelling and screaming and, and getting somebody's face. And we think that that's going to teach them a lesson and change the behavior. That's something that we've done for a long time. And really now I want teachers to respond to behaviors, but I want them to respond in an empathetic and loving way. And I want them to think, though, if, if I was in the situation where I made a mistake, because yes, teachers make mistakes too, how would I want my supervisor to treat me in this situation? Would I want my supervisor to be in my face and yelling and screaming? Or would I want my supervisor to be empathetic and say, let's make this a teachable moment? Because that's the goal. I want to make this, this mistake, this error, this misbehavior, this inappropriate language, whatever it is, I want to make it a teachable moment because the goal of the consequence is not to punish and hurt and make it sting. The, the purpose of the consequence is so that we can reteach and we can avoid this behavior happening over and over and over again. So one of the examples I give all the time is, you know, we've been guilty for a long time but as educators as we're going to teach them a lesson. And so sometimes the way we teach them a lesson is something that if our supervisor ever did it to us, we would not be okay with. And so one example I give, we talk, I, I say, hey, you, if you guys are a first grade team and your supervisor says, hey, you have a meeting tomorrow morning at 730 and one member of your team has something happen beyond their control and they just can't make it at 730, they have a flat tire and they call their people to help them, nobody's available, they end up having to call a tow truck and they don't get to work at eight o'clock. Like, how would you feel if your supervisor came in and said, you know what, you let your team down. So the whole team, I've decided I'm going to punish the whole team. And I said, I'm going to take your plan time away today because I want to teach you a lesson. And, and I listen, when I give that example to teachers in the room, they said, no, I, I would not be okay with that. I'd be upset about that. I said, I know you would. But how many times have we done that to our students? How many times have we have one or two students who aren't exhibiting the behaviors we want to see and we punish the whole group? And when you can do things like that to tie it to their heart and make them empathetic, they begin to see that maybe, just maybe, some of these practices that we've had in place for a long time are hurting more than they're helping. So you got to go at, a, at an empathetic way to get them to understand that. I really just want you to treat your kids the same way that you expect me to treat you, with that same dignity and that same respect that you expect me or any supervisor you have to treat you with. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I was still on mute. Yeah. Yes, and it's yeah, very true because you have to, yeah, it's the age old be in their shoes and you yeah. know, see see how you feel. And it's yeah. It sort of makes you feel <laughs> no it which is in a good way, I think, really incredibly guilty and just yeah. oh why <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like oh 
anyway. And I think some of it is like, we have to be vulnerable too. I have to be transparent and say, I wasn't always like this. I'm not nice. perfect. So I don't think that I'm coming in and I'm saying like, hey, I've done this perfectly all my whole career. Like, this is what you need to be doing. Like, I'm saying like, hey, I messed up. I, I, I was in the same position you're in where I made some poor decisions. And you can talk yeah. to my former principal who I still talk to and they can say, hey, James, you're saying some stuff now that I wish you would have known as a teacher. And I say, yeah, exactly right. And so just being transparent and getting them to understand, hey, I've, I've been in your shoes. I'm being empathetic towards you because I know that there's a better way. Jessica Griffin, she, always, she takes it from my Angela, I know, but she always says, you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mindset that we come into with teachers. Like, I need them to know better. And now that they know better, now I need to support them and help them do better with kids. Yeah, no, that's really powerful stuff. You talked about love and empathy there, James. How else, what else would you kind of talk to someone about when you're uh, when you are helping them to think about a, adopting a trauma-informed approach? Like what else, how else would you kind of very quickly explain to them what it is? Um, I think I would start, obviously, like you said, with that love, love and empathy piece, but I, I think it's also, you know, getting them to understand the importance of a school family, getting them to understand the connectedness that has to happen in a school. Um, and there's some intricate, intricate pieces to a school. Mm-hmm. Like we, we also tie in a lot about customer service. You know, like I, I don't think that many people think about schools as being places where we're, we're engaging with customers, but we really are. And so one of the things we talk a lot about is how do, what's, the, what's it feel like when you walk into your building? What's it feel like? Do people feel welcome? Do they feel like this is a place that they want to be? Or are we making it so business-like? And I mean business-like not in a good sense that, you know, like we're here, you're there. Like there's not a, a lot of relationship between. So we've actually, my, um, my assistant superintendent brought a, a customer service activity in. And I liked it so much that I came back and I did it with all of our teachers and then he actually came out and did it with all of our um, classified staff, our pairs and instructional aides and our secretaries and everybody got the exact same training. So really it's pretty simple. It's like, you know, what does good customer service, like when I come into an office, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And then the opposite, what does it not look like? What does it not sound like? And what does it not feel like? And some of that discussion that we had, it was really good. And somebody said, you know, good customer service in the office, it, it doesn't look like you're being ignored. Because think about how many times, and the office is the busy place. They have one of the toughest jobs in the school. So they're answering phones, they're letting people in the door, they're, they're helping kids, they're helping teachers. It's, it's a busy place. Mm. But even in, when it's busy, I have to make sure that every person that I engage with feels appreciated and they feel valued. And so I never want it to be a place where they feel ignored, like they're sitting there, they're being a bother to me. And so how can we work together as a school family to make sure that every person that steps in our building feels welcome? And we've been fortunate. We've had, I was just counting up the numbers. We probably had over 30 schools visit us this year from around Kansas and even some people from outside the state. And one of the best, um, best things they can say about our building when they leave is it felt so warm and so welcome. Like, and, they, and one of the things I appreciate, they say the office was a welcome place. The ladies in the office were amazing. They always, they, they always talk about teachers and how teachers were so welcoming and answering their questions. And the one that I think has shifted so much in the last couple of years is our kids. They say, your kids are so kind. Your kids are so polite. We had kids that came up to us and, and engaged us in conversation and they talked to us. 
And that doesn't happen every place. And I think that's huge. And one of the things I read recently on Twitter was, you know, when you're talking about engaging kids in relationships and conversation, like teachers, we're really good about engaging kids in the hallway. We see a kid in the hallway and we say, hey, how are you? But you know, you've kind of turned the corner when you have those kids approaching you and starting those conversations. And I think that's something that I'm proud of and something that our, our kids embrace visitors when they're in the building and go up and say, hey, I'm glad you're here today. Like, you need help finding something. That's the biggest compliment that somebody visiting our building can give us. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And, and it's so true about the subtleties too, James, because yeah. it's about those little things, you know, looking the kids in the eyes or just saying hello or just acknowledging them, which is so much more than a policy or a strategy, isn't it? It's about like an yeah. attitude and I'm feeling. And it's it so true about the school climate. And Kay and I were recently at a school that we're working quite close to. And that's exactly what we were talking about. It's that feeling of warmth that you simply can't um, kind of recreate. Now, all this is sounding amazing. And I'm sure there are people listening, feeling a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to kind of bring it back, when you were starting to do this stuff, were there people who were cynical, who were slow on the uptake? How did you manage that? And what was your experience of that, James? It was, and this is probably the one area like I've matured in and I, I wish I, would, I could go back and do some things a little differently because I, I think I came in and um, I was so on fire for this that I wanted, to, I wanted everybody to be as passionate about it as I was right away. And when they weren't, it was kind of like, why don't you get this? Why don't you understand this? And um, I probably could have been more sympathetic and more empathetic to them in those situations. But honestly, like there were some people who were resistant at first. And now when I look back, I think the resistance wasn't cynical in nature. I think the resistance was because if we're being honest, this is so drastically different than everything that we've done in education up to this point, whether it's, you know, telling a kid, I love you. We never did that before. You know, taking time to teach social emotional skills and not just academic skills. We've never really have done that before. Up to this point, it's always been academics, academics, academics. So um, I wish I would have gone back and really continued to tell the why. But I think, you know, one thing I've learned is the why is not always enough. Because I can tell you the why, but if, that, if those people, if their past experience is so drastically different than where you're shifting, it's not just the why, it's the how. And it's the love and support that you need to give those teachers as well to help them make the transition. And that's one thing I was guilty in. Um, you know, my mindset, and I don't know that I would change this particularly, but I, I came into it where we presented, this is the direction that we're headed. These are the different interventions that we're going to have in place. And I put that out in March and I said, hey, like, this is what we're going to do. And I, I know there's some people who aren't on board, but I, I'm telling you this early enough because if you can't truly grasp the philosophy of what we're doing, I want you to have the opportunity to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. And um, and we did have some people leave. And I mean, most of those people are still people that I talk to and that's okay. I just, because I know for me, like when I go to work, I want to enjoy going to work. I want to be happy when I go to work. And I can't always enjoy work or be happy if I'm going to a place where I don't truly buy into the philosophy that they're, that they're selling. Mm -hmm. And so um, we had some people leave, we had some people come in and that's okay. Um, it's been good. And I will say like our interview questions have changed drastically. The questions that we're asking, um, potential candidates who want to teach for us, it's changed because I want to know where their heart is. And one thing that I, I truly believe, like I don't ask very many academic questions anymore because I feel like I can help somebody become a better instructional leader. I can help somebody in their teaching and their content. What I can't always teach is somebody's heart. 
So mm-hmm. when, in that interview process, I want to know your heart. Like, how do you truly feel about kids? Do you love kids? Do you truly believe that every kid can be successful? Are you truly willing to put in the work ethic and the desire to work hard for every kid? Because I can't teach you that. And so mm-hmm. our interview questions have changed quite drastically since we started this process. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I was curious to get your thoughts on this. Something that um, Kay and I often hear is about teachers who say, you know, all this love and support is great, but what about the other kids? You know, what about the kids who are doing the right thing um, who might be struggling because of this one student or one or two students? And um, and often we talk about, you know, what's good for them is sort of good for everyone. But I, I wondered what your take on that was, James. What was your experience of teachers saying things like that? So, yeah, we've had that. And I think one of our our shifts and what makes maybe our school a little different is Um, Our thinking is we took some things that used to be tier two and tier three interventions that a select few got. Mm. And we said, Hey, this is stuff. This is, this is stuff that all of our kids need and all of our kids deserve. So we took those things that used to be tier two and tier three, and we made them tier one interventions that are available for everybody. So regardless of your past, regardless of your SCS, regardless of your behaviors, we're, we're offering these interventions for everybody. Because one thing I strongly believe is I don't care if you have money, no money, if you behave or you don't behave, like learning how to manage your emotions and learning how to self-regulate, that's a life skill that everybody needs. That's not tied to poverty. That's not tr- tied to success. That's a, that, well, I guess it is tied to success because successful people are able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really made sure that all of our interventions are things that are available for everybody. And one of the things that our social worker can say is like, as we've introduced mindfulness, a lot of that is we have a lot of kids who have high anxiety, who have very successful parents, and they feel the stress of those expectations sometimes, and they don't know how to, they don't know how to always accept that. They don't know how to deal with those stressors. And so a lot of the, the stuff we're doing, we have kids on 504s, or we've had kids on 504s for mindfulness just for the anxiety. And mm-hmm. so these are, these are things that all of our kids can benefit from. And so I think that's my, that's my response to those teachers who might say, I don't have time to deal with that one kid. And my response usually is you don't have time not to. And mm-hmm. so there's three, there's three shifts that we talk about and in, in trauma informed. And one of it is like, I can't expect some things from my kids that I'm not willing to give. And the second one, which is probably the biggest one, or the third one that I think is the biggest one is, you know, we can no longer just shift off or send off our, our kids who get in trouble. We can't say, you know, you have trouble, you're having issues. You got to go to the counselor. You got to go to the social work. You got to go to the principal. Like as teachers, I need teachers who are willing to be that first intervention. Mm-hmm. And that first intervention is always a strong relationship. So I need teachers who are willing to be that first intervention to engage that kid, to have a strong relationship with that kid. And I say, I'm here to offer support. But what I can't have is you think you're going to send that kid off to me every day mm-hmm. and not build that relationship with me. With, with that kid because I need teachers who are willing to build strong relationships with every kid because if you come to school every day and every time that kid does something you don't like you're quick to get them out get them out get them out then they're spending all their time with me and their the relationship they're building is with me so when they come to school where are they going to want to be they want to be with me so they're going to do whatever it takes to get out of that classroom to come spend time with me so I need you to build a strong relationship with that kid so that kid knows you care about them but also know that I'm here to support you along the way if you need help and we're a, we're a family, a system of supports that have to be here for teachers and for kids. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I'll get Kay to jump in in a minute. But um, you spoke about the mindfulness, the social worker uh, at the school, James. What, what are some of the other practical things that you've kind of done across the school um, that has been helpful? So when we came in, we identified after talking to Jim and doing my own research, we kind of identified some interventions that we wanted to be available for every kid. And so, one, we have a social-emotional curriculum that every kid gets um, a couple times a week, and it's provided by their teacher. And I think that's something else that's different from other schools. I know other schools have a counselor go in and teach a lesson or a social worker go in and teach a lesson. But we felt it was important that the teacher is the one who teaches that lesson. Now, the, the curriculum we use is second step, and it's pretty scripted, so teachers feel comfortable doing that. Um, but I think that I think back to me being a teacher, when the counselor came in, I left. That was like an extra, oh, I get an extra time to plan today. I get an extra time just to be away from kids. Today. Like, but I need to be in the room because I, and when you're in the room, you can hear the situations that are going on with your kids. So you're better equipped to, to deal with those things and you know what's going on. But when I was leaving, I was missing out on some of the best stuff that was going on with my kids and I didn't know I wasn't prepared to deal with it. And so our teachers provide that second step lesson every week. Um, mindfulness happens every day in every classroom. Um, for most of our, our teachers, we tell them it's just pushing play. Like there's so many other, re there's so many online resources right now that a teacher can just press play and they can, and this is the big part. I want the teacher to engage in the activity with the kid. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, I just push play and I sit in the back of the room with my feet up or I sit and I'm, I'm grading papers. I want you to engage and participate with your kids. So we have some that are doing our yoga, like cosmic yoga is a big one, especially in our, our, our lower grades. They do that for some of their mindfulness activities. Mind Yeti is another one. Go Noodle is an, a website that has some mindfulness activities. So mindfulness happens every day in every classroom. Um, every classroom has a, a safe spot. Um, we actually call them peace corners in our building. It's kind of funny how we got that name. Um, uh, it's called, we trained it as a safe spot. I had a teacher come forward and say, hey, like, I have a problem with that name. And at first I was like, well, what's your problem with the name? She says, well, I want kids to know that every part of our building is safe, not just that, just that one place is safe. And I said, well, that makes sense. And so we voted and we had, we voted between Peace Corner and Calm Corner because we wanted to be the language to be universal throughout the whole building. So we voted and we came up with Peace Corner. And so a Peace Corner is just a self-regulation spot. It's not a timeout spot. It's a spot where that kid identifies that, hey, I'm feeling anxious or frustrated or whatever. I'm not real. I'm having a difficult time engaging in this lesson right now. I'm going to take myself to this Peace Corner. I'm going to self-regulate and then I'm going to come back and rejoin my class. That's what our Peace Corner is. Um, so that's something that ha there's a peace corner in every space in our in our building. So like there's one up here in the office, there's one in every classroom, there's one in music, there's one in art, there's one in PE. All those places have some type of peace corner where kids can go to self-regulate before they come back to class. Um, what am I forgetting? Zones of regulation is a huge one for us. Um, I know that comes from a much larger curriculum. We only use the zones. And really, that's just our way for kids to identify how they're feeling. And if I had to pick one that's the biggest bang for our buck, that was it. Because it's so easy to implement, but it's really transformed the culture of our school. Because kids, uh, I mean, for me, I, I give the announcements every morning. And one thing I do on the announcements every morning, I tell them exactly what zone I'm in. And I'm always honest about it. And I say, if I'm in the green zone, hey, I'm in the green. I got up on time. I got coffee. I got to chat with some teachers before the school day started. Green means I'm calm. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to be engaged in what's happening today. But on the flip side, I'm, almost, I'm honest and I say, hey, Mr. Moffitt's in the blue. I stayed up way too late last night. There was a basketball game. There's a football game I wanted to see. So I stayed up late. And now I'm kind of sleepy. And I'm honest with them about that. And um, 
it's so cool though because you see kids that now you know you talk about them approaching you for conversation you have kids that are so engaged and invested in you if i say i'm in the blue or if i'm in the in the yellow i'll probably get stopped 60 times in the day for a kid to say hey are you still in the blue or are you still in the yellow and then what can i do to help you move closer to the green because we always say that getting close to the greens where we want to be because that means i'm in my the front of my brain i'm ready to learn um that's huge. And one thing I've had, I've started saying, well, for the last six months or so, because I want to drive this point home is regardless of your zone, when you come to school, you have a job to do. And so like for Mr. Moffat, sometimes I'm in the blue, I'm in the yellow, I might even be in the red, but I still have a job to do when I'm at school. So the, the important part is learning about myself so I can learn what coping skills work for me. So when I come to school and I'm not ready to go, I know what do I need to employ so I can have a good day. So being in the yellow, red, or blue isn't an excuse not to do my job. It just helps me identify where I'm at so I know what I need to do to help myself get through the day and have a good day. Um, so we do zones of regulation. Um, talk about the brain. We talk about the brain all the time. And so we have a 20-minute-a-day social-emotional block. And so two days a week, our, our teachers are teaching second step. Two days a week, our teachers are doing class meetings, and they do a really good job of those class meetings and just checking in with their kids. But when we have a fifth day, we as a building are working on lessons about the brain. So we've done it the last couple of years. And um, we have, I have some posters over here actually from Conscious Discipline. So they have three different brain states. So it has the executive state, the emotional state, and the survival state. And those are posted, in, not just in my office, those are posted in every classroom space because those are posters that teachers can refer to during those brain lessons. So we're actually convening right now. Um, we met last week, our committee who's working on our lessons for next year about the brain. And we're talking about what they need to look like and where they need the, the, the progression of lessons for the, for the entire school year. So we'll have 24 lessons about the brain next year. That'll be that every kid gets, not just certain kids, but it's every kid gets those lessons um, once a week. So we're excited about that as well. So I think that's it. So we do, let me recap real quick to make sure I don't forget anything. Mindfulness, Peace Corner, um, Zones of Regulation, Lessons About the Brain. One thing we offer kids breaks. That's a hard thing for some teachers. They give up some control. But one thing I always say is like, there's kids that are checking out anyway. You know, they're, they're overwhelmed. They, they just need a break. And sometimes they need that to be a, a, a physical break where they might go to the, to the gym and jump rope 10 times. They might run to the fence outside and come back. They need a physical break. They need a sensory break. They just need some type of break. Um, and that's important that we offer that to our kids. And you know, we have almost 600 kids. And I can think of maybe 10 kids out of that 600 that utilize breaks regularly. And those teachers have worked out that system with those kids. And it starts with explicit instructions. And that's mm -hmm. the one thing I'll say about all of our interventions. I have teachers who will say, well, kids are going to misuse those things. And my response is always, well, kids are going to misuse anything you don't have a clear expectation for. Mm -hmm. So when you put those, those interventions in place, you have to have clear expectations from the very beginning. So kids know what you're willing to accept. So they know what you, you expect from them. And then our last intervention, I think it might be one of the most important, it's just the, our conversations with kids. How do, how do we engage kids and families in conversation? And one of the things that was huge for me is we're going to praise publicly and criticize privately. So what that means is we've done away with, we don't have card systems, we don't have clip charts, we don't have any of those things that were like, to me, are kind of public shaming things, like go pull your card. So now you're, you're standing up in front of your whole class, you're going up to the front, you're pulling your card, or your teacher's writing the name on the board and putting the check mark next to your name every time you do something that they don't like. Those are public things that really, 
those aren't engaging my kids. If anything, those are isolating my kids even more because they feel disconnected. They feel like called out. They feel ashamed because of our, our approach. And so we've, we've done away with all that. And we say, hey, we're going to publicly praise you. If you're doing a good job, we're going to praise you, praise you, praise you. But if we need to criticize the behavior, that's a one-on-one conversation I need to have with that student or a one-on-one conversation I need to have with those parents. But it's not a public shaming. We're going to make a big deal of this in front of everybody. We've moved away from that for sure. So those are kind of the six interventions that we have in place. That's fantastic. And I just wanted to comment on that little thing that you said in the beginning about the teachers doing it with the students and teachers being present for the social emotional stuff. It's such a easy win, but it's so powerful because I can imagine that feeds into the self-care for the teacher and how they think about their own social and emotional exactly. development. So that is just incredibly powerful. Kay, did you have any questions or comments for James? Yeah, um, just following on what you've just said, Gavin, too, I think um, that that is um, having the teacher stay is quite a big mind shift for us as well because we've spent so many years now um, showing my age, unlike in the days when I taught, <laughs> when you didn't get time away from the kids because you taught everything, art, phys ed everything so it was just naturally you were always there but so for so many years we've had what we call here in Australia non-contact time where you send the children to Japanese you send them off to music you send them off to art you send them off to social emotional learning because somebody else does it and you're right James I mean we all do it you think oh thank god I've got an hour to myself Um, because somebody else writes that part of the report card. Somebody else does all the assessments. So you don't even know what your children's capabilities are in in those content areas because you're not part of it. And I think that we're in that habit of, well, this is a new specialist type of area. Somebody else can do it. Mm. Um, And so that is quite a difficult... um, yeah, again, that is quite a difficult mind shift to say, hey, you need mm-hmm. to be present. It's like going out on playground duty when you're not actually on duty to take an interest in what the child's doing and who they're playing with. And and you, the first reaction is, what, you want me to give up the one and only time I've got to sit down? You know, <laughs> It's like, well, it's important. So mm-hmm. I, I found that very interesting because there's a lot of um, what – a program here called you can do it um Mm -hmm. and that is sort of has been manualized and somebody trots around from class to class in a lot of schools and delivers that scripted lesson and the teacher leaves um and that's their attempt at social emotional well-being and self-regulation so and that happens a lot but again like you've made that very important point the the shift needs to be that you're part of this teaching team either if you're not teaching it you're you're teaching it together and it's not not a time to to bail and um run for cover sort of thing so that was interesting and you also answered my next question which was i was going to ask so do you have a school-wide sort of 
you know, um, we call it the traffic light system here, you know, you start on green, you move to yellow, you go to red, then you chuff to buddy class and then you go to, you know, and then your next thing's an office referral. Um, did you well, we have, have any we, type of consequence system like that? But clearly no, because you've well, answered that. And I think, you know, like my thing is I want the behavioral side to be more like the academic side. Yes, the learning. Like the Side. Yeah, on the academic side, we're learning. Like when I have a kid with a lagging skill or a deficit, yeah. I put intervention after intervention after intervention in place to help them grow. But for so long on the behavioral side, it's been they have a lagging skill, they mess up, and we punish. Yeah, and tough we, luck, we, work we, it out. <laughs> and we think that's going to fix the issue, and it hasn't. And we get more and more irritated because they're not learning a behavior. But really, have we taken the time to teach them that behavior? That's right. No, we have That's like that yeah. age-old so example, have, yeah. The age-old yeah, example of I've got a kid that and I send them to the office because they've misbehaved, but I don't send them to you when they can't do their two times table and expect them to come yeah. back a maths whiz. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the balance is, I mean, I need to support teachers. So one thing we have in place is for our referral system, we do, we have referrals, but um, we try, we talk those, those interventions that we just talked about. So Peace Corner, um, the self-regulation model, like a natural concept, whatever that is. Like we tell teachers, like if you're dealing with a, a minor behavior, if it's a minor behavior, you need to try those, at least three of those interventions first. And if you try three of those interventions and that kid is still escalated, that's still, that kid is still having a difficult time, let me know. That's, that's the point when the referral is written and it comes to me. And I, I, I deal with it from there. So we had to spend a lot of time talking about minor versus major behaviors. Major behaviors are those things that come directly to me and I'll deal with those things. Minor behaviors are those things as teachers that you're empowered. I feel that you have the, the ability to deal with those things. And so by putting some of those interventions in place and we've trained you in all those interventions, you, you put those interventions in place. And what we find is most of the time, if it's minor, teachers handle it. They, they, they know the intervention to put in place and it gets dealt with. On the communication side, what we've done is if it's a minor behavior, that the teachers dealt with and the teachers handle it in their classroom, that teacher calls home to communicate to parents. Hey, this is what happened today. This is the intervention we did. We're good. We're okay now. If it's a major behavior that comes to me and I'm the one trying interventions, I'm the one that calls home that says, hey, this is what happened today. I want you to be aware of it. We've documented it. Um, so we, we've done a much, much better job of that. And one of the things that I feel like we've done a really good job is of putting the data about our behavior in the hands of teachers but also so kids can see it. So one thing we have in our hallway now, there's a poster that goes month by month, and it's a graph. It just colors in how many office referrals we have every month. And, and it's, it's really good for kids to see it, I think, when they walk by, because we're working together as a school family. We're trying to make every month better than the month before. And, I mean, so think about where I came from four years ago. We had well over 500 office visits a year. And so this year, there are some months with almost 600 kids. I saw seven kids for the entire month for the entire with 600 kids that's I mean to see seven kids total or even 10 kids and even on our high months where it was like I thought you know it's crazy how your perception changes because I'm saying it's a high month but I'm it's like 20 kids that's really not that high we can talk about 600 kids in your building mm -hmm. but I mean just having that that visual there for kids I think is good as well that is really incredible stuff. That Those outcomes are really um, amazing, really, for any school, <laughs> let alone a school that was um, struggling. James, uh, were there a couple of stories that stand out in your mind about 
that really kind of show off how powerful it is, some of the things you're doing and the impact it's having on the children's lives or the lives of the families of the teachers? Was there one that stood out in your mind? I think anytime you know, recently we've had a couple parents reach out because you know, we have Peace Corners at school and that's, that's how we deal with things at school to help kids regulate. But it's always powerful when you get an email from a, a parent who says, hey, they built their own Peace Corner at home. And so we have some kids who have gone home and they, they've taken some of the interventions we have here at school and they're taking it to their house. And to have a parent email you and say, hey, they brought this from school, they're doing it at home and it's helping, it's working. So we're not having all the friction that we used to have. I'm watching my third or fourth grader and sometimes even our fifth grader go to their peace corner at home when they're arguing with their sister or go to their peace corner at home when they get mad at me and they're calming down and then they're coming back out of that ready to have a productive day. Like, I think that's a success story, obviously. Um, and we've had probably that I can think of nine to 10 emails about stuff like that, where they've taken something they learned at school or doing it at home. But there are, there are there's tons of kids um, who are really, they're turning behavior around. Um, there's some kids I, I like to say that I used to see frequently and because they came to me quite frequently and now I'm having to go find them in classrooms to, to be able to spend some time with them. I think that's powerful, but it, this movement for me, it's always, it's also transitioned what I'm able to do as a principal, because I think at the beginning, all my time was spent reactionary dealing with kids who misbehave and, and now there's some type of consequence that goes along with that. I'm getting to spend a lot more time as an instructional leader in helping teachers deliver better instruction. Um, this year we had an instructional review, which means our district comes to our building, and they're actually in our building for three full days. And it's like a team of 11 people, and they observe every teacher multiple times. They do um, student focus groups where they ask questions of students. They do teacher focus groups. They do all that stuff. And then at the end, they sit down with me and give me a report. And these are the things we saw. These are the recommendations we have. But in that, the biggest compliment I got out of that was when they sat down and they said, we have not been in another school that has as much instructional time on task, which means that teachers aren't having to stop constantly to redirect behavior. And I think that's directly related to what we've done, where teachers feel they have control. Um, and I, I like to say shared control because we're, it's funny because we've given our students some control. So now we're sharing control with them of a classroom. And the behaviors have improved so much that we have lots more time that we get to spend delivering instruction. We're not having to stop every five minutes to redirect the behavior. And for those people who say, I don't have time for this approach, what I always say is you have time. Because you can either spend, you know, five minutes being proactive about a behavior before you teach a lesson, or you can spend 15 to 20 minutes worth of redirection throughout the lesson trying to curb the same behavior. So we have time for it. So to me, those are some of the success stories, like what the, the time on task we have, the major reduction in referrals, to see those kids taking those principles that we're doing at school and taking them home and using them in their, in their own homes. That's powerful. And it's exciting for me. Yeah, it is. And it, and it sounds like you start to make inroads into the community, isn't it? That it's, um, that's our, I think that's our thing we want to continue to work on. We want to continue to work on that. Um, I think there's still a lot of people who have some misconceptions about things that we're doing and I want to address some of those. And so one of the things we're working on this year is kind of like, I don't know, a trauma informed, I don't want to say flyer, but just an informational page that we can give out to every kid at the beginning of next year. So those parents at home, because the other thing to think about, this is so drastically different than what their parents had at school mm -hmm. too. 
Mm. So that's that's kind of a disconnect. So making sure they're fully aware of what we're doing. And mm. the big, biggest misconception is we're letting kids get away with whatever. They can do whatever they want. And that's such a misconception because it's not true. A lot of times we're just changing our approach to responding to those behaviors. Yeah, no, that's powerful. What do you do to take care of your staff, James? Um, it sounds like they are a very hardworking bunch. Um, what, what have you got in place for that? Uh, they work really hard. So we have a couple things. And I think a lot of it, like you said, is them participating in the things that we do. So whether it's mindfulness, but we also have what we call Wellness Wednesday. And so one Wednesday a month, we try to invite some outside agency to come in. And each grade level has a 30-minute block of time where they're just being active, exercise. So we, we've done boot camps. We've done yoga. We've had the YMCA come in and do activities. And I tell, I tell teachers, wear your sweats that day. I want you to participate. So I think that's something that is self-care for them. We, uh, we've done like a self-care challenge where it's optional, but I challenge them for a whole week. Like, I want you to get eight hours of sleep every night. I want you to drink, you know, your eight, eight um, glasses of water every day. I want you to do a random act of kindness every day, just some things to take care. And so as a reward, anybody who turned in their completed self-care sheet got entered in a drawing for a free massage. So that, I mean, uh, so that there's different things that we do. We actually have a massage chair in our lounge. So it's like really cool to walk back there and see a teacher who, I mean, teaching stressful. I tell teachers all the time, this is the hardest job I ever did. I don't know that there's any other job that's harder than this. And I say, if you come to work every day and it's easy, you're probably doing something wrong. And so I want you to, I want to take care of you. So there's a massage chair back there. Um, we do once a quarter, we do a staff appreciation lunch. We just buy them lunch. So they feel appreciated that way. Um, we do the 12 days of Christmas. So right before Christmas, there's 12 days where they get a different gift from me every day. So I, I, part of it, as much of it's self-care, a lot of it's just them feeling valued and appreciated as well. Yeah, that is incredible. And this is so um, practical, informational, and inspired. It's it's late at night here, but I feel energized and inspired just listening to you, James. Um, we're wrapping up here. Kay, did you have any final questions or comments for James before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I'm just just listening and, yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's a very reassuring to... Um, to know that we're, you know, paddling the same canoe and we're on the same page and yeah. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I need to make a visit over there to Australia yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've got to come over too and have a look at this. Yes, uh, we do. <laughs> so, James, we finish with this question with everyone. Um, what are you currently curious about with your work? Um, what have you got on your mind and what are you working on? I think right now I want to... I'm doing some reading on the nutritional side and how can we, whether it be snacks or I read something recently that talked about activating the brain in the morning and how much water it takes for the kidneys to drink to get their brain going in the morning. And so how can we bring those things into our school setting to help kids set them up for failure or for success? So I want to definitely set them up to be successful. So um, how can I offer, you know, water first thing in the morning? Do I need to get a special cup? So they, this is how much water you have to drink before we get our day started. Um, so really looking at the nutritional side, um, we're always about relationships. So how can I infuse more relationships or attach more kids to meaningful adults around our building and be really intentional about that? So those are the two things I think I'm, I'm focused on right now. Um, getting ready to read uh, The Deep as well by Dr. Nadine Brooke, Brooke Harris. I want to read that book. Um, so there's some reading out there for me this summer and 
I think I was, I keep learning. Like I tell people all the time, this is never, this is not a, a journey that ever ends. This is a never ending journey. There's four years later, we're still, I'm still learning things all the time, trying to teach staff stuff all the time. So just keeping my head in the book or on podcasts or things like this, where I can just learn more. Mm. This is great. Thank you so much, James. How can people get in touch with you if they wanted to have a chat or get your advice on anything? Yeah, so Twitter is the, the easiest way. So at DHE principal. Um, email, I, I welcome emails all the time. So my email address is J-M-O-F-F-E-T-T at USD260.com. So jmoffett at USD260.com. I'd love any messages there. I'm on Facebook as well. You can search my name or you can follow our school on Facebook as well. Derby Hills Elementary School. You can see all the cool stuff we're doing there too. Yes, and it certainly looks like you're having lots of fun a lot of the time at the school. I try to. Thanks, James. We really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope we can keep in touch. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you. That was our interview with James Moffat. To get access to the links and resources mentioned in the interview, please visit www tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to our show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.